Oh, God is good? And all the time? Yeah. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I know I did. Got all my, uh, my collars messed up. Thank you. I just had to throw this mic on. I'm glad to know people care about me when I get up here. Thank you. Yes, we had to do a quick mic change after the drama, so, and we moved things around, so I didn't quite have enough time to, to do that, but uh, um, I had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you did, and I ate far too much, as should be the case on Thanksgiving, right? This is what you do, and uh, I tried to eat a little bit less, um, but I did it twice, you know, I just kind of, <laughs> I went through the first time small portions, looked nice and modest, and then second time went through again, nice small portions. And then I had to try all the desserts. So, you know, a little sliver of pumpkin pie, a little sliver of pecan pie, and then a little sliver of the cheesecake with the chocolate crust and the raspberries on top. And sorry, I like to torture you a little bit when that. But it was good. And it's great to have all my sisters here and, and uh, their families. And it's the first time we've gotten together in about seven years, six, seven years. So it's great to have them here. And, uh, my wife and uh, one of my sisters started cooking on Wednesday night and just started torturing me, you know, just the aromas started happening. And I was sitting there watching a movie with the kids, and then the aroma goes up, you know, upstairs even stronger. And so when you're going to bed, you just have the, the dreams of, of all the food you're going to have the next day and feast on God's blessings. I like what Johnny Carson said uh, way back in the day, for those of you who used to watch the Johnny Carson show. He said this, Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year and then discover once a year is way too often. (laughs) Now, I want you to know that's not the case with my family. Um, I toyed with telling you a joke this morning, and I I decided I'm going to do it. I asked some people if they'd heard this joke before, and only one in six said they'd heard it. So I figure those are pretty good odds. If you've heard it before, and, and if most of you happen to be that one in six, um, just laugh anyways, and it'll make me feel better. An atheist was taking a walk through the woods, admiring all that naturalism and evolution could produce. What majestic trees, he said. What powerful rivers. What beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind As he turned to look, he saw a seven-foot grizzly charge towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder and saw that the bear was closing in on him. He tried to run even faster, so scared that tears were coming to his eyes. I just lost my place. (laughs) Let me find it here. Um, He looked over his shoulder, and again the bear was even closer. His heart was pumping frantically, and he tried to run even faster, but he tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up and saw the bear right on top of him, raising his paw to kill him. At that instant, he cried out, God, help me. Just then, time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. The river even stopped moving, and a bright light shone upon the man, and a voice came out of the sky saying, You deny my existence all these years, teach others I don't exist, and even credit my creation to a cosmic accident, and now do you expect me to help you out in this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist 
ever so proud, looked into the light and said, it would be rather hypocritical to ask to be a Christian after all these years. But could you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the river ran, the sounds of the forest continued, and the bear put his paw down. And the bear then brought both paws together, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. <laughs> yes, the bear was thankful that day because God was good all the time, right? Have you ever made that statement before? Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. Why did you make that statement? What was behind that statement? Maybe, maybe you uh, were taking an exam and oh, I passed. Thank God I passed. Or maybe you're an avid sports fan and, and your team that always seems to fumble it up on Sunday afternoon finally wins a game. Thank God we finally won. Maybe the store was open when you thought it was going to be closed and you were able to get what you needed. Oh, thank God. Or maybe you got test results back on an exam about your health on, and, and, and you're going to be okay. Thank God. Do you consider yourself blessed? In case you don't know it or in case you've forgotten, we are a blessed people. Did you eat today? You're blessed. Maybe you took a shower, I hope. <laughs> You're blessed. Do you have that thing called electricity going to your house? You can turn a light on and off whenever you want to. You're blessed. Does your toilet work? God is good, right? You're blessed. You have clothes. Maybe in this economy you even have a job. You have clean water to drink. You have gas to your house. You're blessed. Thank God. Thank God. I was listening to this one um, comedian who was driving home a very important point. The title of what he was talking about was this, Everything's Amazing and No One's Happy. Everything's amazing and, and no one's happy. He said he was on a flight. And it was a flight, you know, a little while back where they started to have internet access while you're flying on the plane. And they announced it to, the, to all the passengers. And so they were, wow, this is pretty cool. We can get on our laptop. We can do some work. on. We can go on the internet. Why, we're up in the sky. This is amazing. Three minutes after they announced it, they said, we're sorry. We're having problems. The internet's not working anymore. The comedian said, you won't believe this, but the person next to me started cursing up a storm. Said, I can't believe this. This is, this is horrible. He's like, 10 seconds ago, he didn't even know it existed. And now the world owes him something. You know, what do you mean? He says, you know, some of us, we, we have these stories about flying. Ah, oh, we had to wait 20 minutes before we could board the plane. And then when I got on the plane, I had to wait 40 minutes to take off. And I love what this guy said. He says, um, oh, really, did you not fly through the air incredibly? <laughs> did you not partake in that, that amazing thing of the miracle of human flight in a chair? You're in a chair in the sky, flying like a bird. It takes you five hours, maybe, to get to New York. Back in the day, it would take you 30 years. And some of the people you left with would be dead before you got there. Babies would be born, and the group you arrived with wasn't even the same group you started with. In five hours, you can go across the country. Have we forgotten about that? Or take the telephone. 
Now, I'm old enough to remember the dial. Some of you here, you young people are like, dials? <laughs> what is that? You know, dials, like you pick up the phone and have to go, da 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 And if someone had too many zeros in their number, you didn't want to call them. It took too long. And now we pull out our cell phone, and it's like, this is taking forever. It's like it's going to space and back. Have we forgotten that? Everything is amazing and nobody's happy. I have to agree with him. It, it, it almost seems like it's just human nature, isn't it? Just to kind of lose a sense of gratitude sometimes. You know, we have everything so good, we just expect everything. We seem to take things for granted so quickly. It seems so easy for us to fall out of a state of gratefulness. Ungratefulness, ungratefulness can be a state of being if we're not careful. But at the same time, gratefulness can be a state of being as well if we're careful. So I'm glad that we have annually at least a time to remind us to be thankful, to be thankful. I love what Eric Hoffer said, American social writer and philosopher, the hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. We have so many of them. I love the words of of a character that often goes overlooked in the Star Wars epic, C-3PO. He says, don't forget to thank the Maker. Don't forget to thank the Maker. In fact, God's will for us is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. It says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're wondering what God's will for you is in in different areas of your life, know that no matter what you're going through in life, this is always part of God's will for your life. In all circumstances, this is God's will that you give thanks in Christ Jesus. I love the skit. Lisa's going to wonder, well, you won't wonder now because you know when I bring you home stems with thorns and no flowers. You know, it's like, be thankful in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, all of these things, the the running water, the electricity and the gas and all these things, they're, they're wonderful. I mean, I don't even want to imagine life without them. But today I want to look at Psalm 103 that really gets us to the heart of why we are to be thankful, of why we are to live a life of gratitude. And in this psalm, in Psalm 103, I want you to understand the context. The context is is that there's a worship leader in front of the people at the temple. And he is there ready to lead them in song. He is here to lead them in a song of thanksgiving. And they have brought their offerings to the temple. And now the whole congregation is going to enter a worship of thanksgiving to God. And this is what the psalmist says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, let me before I go on, let me just say something here. This psalm you're going to see starts with the psalmist 
with himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget all of his benefits. Remember his his steadfast love. Remember that, that I was in the pit and he redeemed me. Remember that he forgives my iniquity. Remember, remember, remember to be thankful. Bless the Lord. See, we talk about our blessings when we come to Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. But God is to be blessed. We are on Thanksgiving to bless God, to bless him. See, this word blessing means to thank, to praise. The original word comes from two other words that basically means to kneel before and another word for a small body of water in which people believe that animals would have to kneel to drink. And so this, this word of blessing is that we come before God, we kneel before him, and we say, you are almighty, and we thank you for your greatness and your loving rule. We bless you. We bless you. And so he starts with himself. Remember last week we talked about that word, and you've got to use the guttural, the chesed, the unfailing love of God. And last week as we closed up the 23rd Psalm, we found out not only does God love us unfailingly, but he even chases us with his love. And that when we look back on the era of our life, we're gonna, it's going to be seen that the era of my life, the whole time of my life, was all about being chased by the unfailing love of God. And so this unfailing love, this steadfast love the psalmist calls it, brings me forgiveness. And you know, one of the words here too, before I move on, it says here, bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 2, and do not forget all his benefits. But that word in the Hebrew, benefits, actually means you should get what you deserve. And isn't it interesting that here, what we deserve is death. What we deserve is, is not life because of our sins. And yet, God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us his love. He says, I deserve this, but really, God forgives me. He heals me. He redeems me. He crowns me with his steadfast love and mercy. I'm not getting what I deserve. See, it's kind of funny sometimes when people say, God isn't fair. And I will follow that up and say, you're exactly right. He's never fair. Because we don't get what we deserve. We get life eternal. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If God was fair, we'd all be in trouble. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. The psalmist goes on now in verses 6 through 18. And he's moving now from the personal to the corporate, to the whole people of God. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to, to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is this, his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. 
But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. Now, this passage is drawing from a specific time in the life of the people of Israel. Moses has led them out of Egypt, and he has gone up to the mountain. He's gone up to the mountain, and God writes in the stone his Ten Commandments. And Moses is coming back down the mountain. And he sees Aaron, and he sees the people worshiping God, dancing around a golden calf. Now, you see, the reason why we know the psalm is referring to the story is because in verse 8, there are these words in the psalm. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is a direct quote from this portion of Scripture in Exodus where Moses went up to the mountain the second time. He goes up because these people had made this golden calf and decided to work. They got impatient with Moses coming down from the mountain. They said, you know, God is just not moving quick enough. We need to move on and do something. You ever hear that said? And so they, they went to Aaron. And I love, I, I just have to read this because this is just so funny. In Exodus 32, Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are bent on evil. They said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And I love this. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and I kid you not, and out came this calf. (laughs) Aaron is saying this. I asked the people, just give me your gold, and, and I threw it in the fire, and voila, here comes this golden calf right out of the fire. Now, if you read the story earlier, it goes into detail how Aaron took their gold and he crafted this thing. He blatantly lies to Moses and says, it just came out of the fire. It's not my fault. It came out. And so Moses goes back up to the mountain. Now, these people have blatantly rejected God. They said, we're we're not going to wait anymore. We need a God like everybody else. Just make this this golden thing and we'll worship it. So when Moses was coming down the mountain, they were dancing around this thing, singing, having a good time. And so Moses has gone back up, and this is how God handles the situation. Now, the Scripture says that God was upset. But then, when he showed himself to Moses, he didn't show him his face. He didn't see all this. He walked past him. And this is how it was described of God's presence. Exactly what you see here in verse 8 of Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Even when we deny God, even when we get impatient with God and go on our own pursuit of what we think we need to do, even when we worship things more than God, God is slow to anger. He's merciful and gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love. You see, the psalmist was reminding his people, remember when we really blew it? Remember when we blatantly walked away from God and made our own idol? God still loved us. God still forgave us. God still wanted us. 
You see, the strange thing about God is that he loves to be with sinners. He came to be with sinners. When he came here, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in fact, the thing that that he always got flack from, from the church and from the religious community, was that he hung out with sinners. This can't be God. He comes to the prostitutes. He comes to the tax collectors. He comes with the down and out. He wouldn't be hanging out with them. But Jesus came to show us what the love of the Father was like, that he wants to be with us. He wants to forgive us. He longs to be compassionate towards us. Another interesting thing in this psalm is that there are three, three words used in the Old Testament for sin, and all three of them appear here in Psalm 103. The word sin, the word iniquity, and the word transgression. The psalmist used them all to show us that God can handle the whole thing of sin, that God can handle it all, that God can come. He can forgive any iniquity. He can forgive any sin or any transgression. In his best-selling book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller, a pastor of a church, shares the story of a woman in his congregation who was learning how the grace extended to us through Christ's work on the cross can actually be more challenging than religion, he calls it. He writes, Some years ago, I met with a woman who began coming to church at, at, at his church and had never before heard a distinction drawn between the gospel and religion, or he would say the distinction between grace and what is often a works-based righteousness. She had always heard that God accepts us only if we are good enough. She said that the new message was scary. I asked why it was scary, and she replied, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights, I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. She understood the dynamic of grace and gratitude. If when you have lost all fear of punishment, you also lose all incentive to live a good, unselfish life, then the only incentive you ever had to live a decent life was fear. This woman could see immediately that the wonderful, beyond-belief teaching of salvation by sheer grace had an edge to it. She knew that if she was a sinner saved by grace, she was, if anything, more subject to the sovereign lordship of God. She knew that if Jesus really had done all this for her, she would not be her own. She would joyfully, gratefully belong to Jesus, who provided all this for her at infinite cost to himself. Unfailing love from God. No matter how sinful we are. I enjoy the writings of Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning was a priest who was an alcoholic. After a while, he had to leave the priesthood. His alcoholism had caught up with him, and he decided to get married. So, but he writes profoundly about the love and the grace of God. And he tells a story about how he got his name, Brennan. He said he was fighting in the army, He was in a foxhole with one of his friends that he actually grew up with in New York. And in that foxhole, they were sitting there telling stories, and his friend was eating a candy bar, and all of a sudden, in the middle of their conversation, a grenade landed right in the foxhole. His friend jumped on the grenade. It killed him, but it spared Brennan's life. When he became a priest, they told him that he had to take on the name of a saint And so he asked if he could take on the name of the friend 
who gave his life for him. His name was Brennan, Brennan Ray. One day, several years later, Brennan went to go see Brennan Ray's mother back in New York, and they were up late sharing stories, having some tea together. And Brennan said to Brennan Ray's mother, he says, do you think Brennan loved me? At that, his mother got up, walked over to him and pointed his finger, and he says, what else could he have done to show you that he loved you? He says, at that moment, I had an epiphany, and I saw in my mind the mother of Jesus standing before the cross saying to me, Brennan, what more could my son do to show you that he loved you? He gave his life. What more can God do than show us that he loves us? Even when we know we sin, he loves us. He came to the world to save sinners, not the righteous. Thank God. The psalmist goes on. He starts with himself, and then he moves on into the body of Christ. And then he moves into the cosmic rhythm of the whole world and all of God's angels constantly giving him praise, blessing God. He says in verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist invites us here, even today, to join in to the cosmic rhythm of praise and blessing God, that God is good and that his love never fails, that he forgives our iniquities, our transgressions, and our sins. Can God actually be praised enough? 2 Corinthians says this in verse, chapter 4, verse 15. The grace that is reaching more and more people causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You see, when, when God's grace impacts people, when we realize the love of God and His grace to us, humanity, the world, begins to overflow with praise and thanksgiving to God. Just like the technology I started talking about before, it's, it should be impossible for Christians to wake up every morning and go, oh, because each day is a new day in the mercies and the grace of God. Every single day we get up as his creation and go, thank God I'm saved by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Thank God that it's, I'm not left to my own sin and misery. Thank God that Jesus came in the flesh to die and to rise again so that I can have life now under his reign and all the way into eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, do you remember that time when you first accepted Jesus? When you first accepted him, you realized that you were a sinner and you needed God to forgive you of your sins. It was like, whew, thank you. And then we go on for decades. And it's like, yeah, I know I'm saved by grace. Yeah, I know I'm forgiven. Yeah, I believe Jesus came on the cross. We ought to be amazed. We ought to just like when we're on that human flight, you know, we're flying in a chair across, state, across the country. It's amazing. We forget how great that is. Sometimes we forget how amazing it is that Jesus came and saved our life. 
That he showed himself in his unfailing love by coming to die for us. That he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we don't have to be stuck in the sin, but we can experience transformation, a renewing of the mind. That Jesus never leaves us where he finds us. Thank God. The book of Revelation reminds us of the thanksgiving in heaven. In chapter 7, with that great multitude that no one could count, And there were the angels and the elders and the four living creatures around the throne. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You see, it's this cosmic rhythm of praise, of blessing God, and we get invited to the blessing. We get to partake. I love the words of Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. In the message translation, I love this. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him, for God is sheer beauty all generous in love, loyal always and forever. Thank God and thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your profound goodness to us. Thank you that even when we forget to say thank you, your grace through the presence of your Spirit reminds us to say thank you. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for your many benefits. When we don't deserve any benefits, you lavishly pour out your benefits on us. Thank you, Jesus. I ask that you would, by your grace, fill us to overflowing with your spirit to remind us to live every day in thankfulness to you, that our lives every day would bless you with all of our being. Take a moment now in silent prayer to bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now may the grace and the peace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.